0: is I do um, facts, frequently asked questions, because I've been doing a lot of talking for the last year. And um, there are certain questions that come up when we have the Q&A at the end every time. So I've sort of put them in chronological order because in a way they sort of pinpoint the highlights and lowlights of that journey that's in the book. And so the first one is, what in your background made you pick up an electric guitar in 1976? And I think, well, I know what you want to hear. You want to hear, I saw the Sex Pistols, or, you know, someone thrust a guitar in my hands, or a bolt came from the sky. But as I've thought about each of these big moments in my life when I made a big change, I realised that, actually, it's lots of little threads that bring you to these big light bulb moments. You know, you you have to trace back all these tiny little things that you don't even notice are happening. And uh, it's little choices you make and little turnings you take in your life that lead you to the big moments, which is why I think, you know, you have to know yourself pretty well, as well as possible, to lead yourself to the right place. So what made me pick up an electric guitar? Um, A Gibson-Leds Paul Jr. when I was 19. I couldn't play. i would never had a music lesson in my life. I definitely can't sing. I can't sing in tune. Um, I came from a very poor background. I wouldn't say working class because it wasn't that obvious. It was Muswell Hill, North London. It was a bit leafy, a bit communist. Uh, I went to a comprehensive school. I was female. Nothing actually was expected of me. Nothing was wanted of me. And I had no role models in life. All I saw was teachers at school, the women, Z cars once a week, uh, which was a police programme where you saw female police women, um, or the women who worked in shops, um, because I came from a sort of culturally impoverished background, and because, I don't know, uh, my parents didn't have books on the shelves, it, it, was, it was, you know, it was a pretty empty-ish upbringing, and in those days, you know, people looking now at things like the Jimmy Savile, the Rolf Harrises, or whatever, the sexual climate at the time wasn't just like that at the BBC or people in high places. Nothing, you know, women were quiet. Women were silenced. Women wore pastels. uh, Women gave up their jobs when they uh, got married. You couldn't get a mortgage. I mean, I was born in 1954. um, So, and I sort of grew up Probably matured during the 70s, and people think all oh, the 70s, you know, all orange and brown fabrics and curvy plastic white furniture. But actually, the 70s was pretty much like the 40s in England at the time. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an international country, Britain. Um, there was no communication. If someone lived in Liverpool, they had t- different shops you know, different programs, different outlet you know, outlook to people who lived in London. So it was a very, very binary life I had. I chose between the, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Um, I chose between BBC and ITV. People chose between the Conservatives or the Labour Party. It was black or white, my life. So... In a way, it was easy to stand out and say, you know, I'm going to do something different because I had nothing to lose. And the reason Boys, Boys, Boys is in the title of my book is not because I was sex mad. It's because boys were doing the interesting things. A lot of women in my generation, when I was young, went out with boys for what we could learn from them. It was a very—you know—it sounds quite calculating now, but Gloria Steinem said, "Never date a man unless he's someone you would like to be," because you—that was how we learnt. You know, I watched boys play guitar. I watched boys fight and roll down hills. I watched boys kick a ball about. I watched them rush upstairs and do something upstairs. You know, like. Let's have a quick jam whilst the girls were left in the kitchen. So what made me pick up the guitar was my militant mother. Because my mother, who was probably in her 30s, in the 60s, and you know, had sort of given up so much to have a family, as you did at that age, um, I think that generation of women made militant girls. Without us knowing it, you know, there, there was them saying, my mum used to say to me, she never said, Oh, family's great, it's great having kids, you know, it's lovely having a man. Her, her refrain was, Never rely on a man, always earn your own money. <laughs> and, you know, this this all goes into your head as a young girl. And, you know, good. I, you know, I was militant by the time I was 11 or 12. Never rely on your father this, your father that. Um, you know, he was half as bright as her, half as quick as her, but he was earning. He had the power. Um, imagine how many mothers of that generation, all, all my friend's mothers, you know, oh, would have been a ballerina if I hadn't got married, or would have been a painter if I hadn't got married. They were all frustrated. So... Partly, I picked up a guitar because of my frustrated mother. Um, Okay, I'm going to question number two in case I run out of time. (laughs) Um, And that's not a bad thing. I'm not blaming my mother. My mother made me who I am. Okay, who were your role models growing up? I didn't have any role models. I didn't have any female role models. I had my mother. I really did not want to be my mother. I, I felt sick when I saw a woman pushing a pram in Muswell Hill past all the little suburban houses. I, I literally used to feel physically sick thinking that was, my, that was my journey. That was what was waiting out there for me. Um, I looked to boys. The kinks went to the same primary school as me and the same secondary school as me. And I used to follow the kinks, not thinking, I'll be a kink, but someone from Muswell Hill has made a leap into that other world. And I didn't for one minute think, one day I'll make a leap into that other world. I might as well have thought, one day I'll go to the moon. Because there were no girls who played electric guitar when I was growing up. It was all boys. I followed music like it was my life, like it was my lifeline out of Muswell Hill and suburbia. I was not particularly academic. Um, I wasn't interested. I can't do things unless I'm really interested. And when I heard the Beatles, um, you can't do that. Which is a sort of very sort of jealous song sung in a n- sort of nasal whine using lyrics that are just everyday conversation. When I heard that, it was like a whole world opened up to me. I think I often think it must have been a bit like a child being taken to the ballet in Russia. If you come from a really bleak, background. You just need at the right age to be shown one sparkle and you will fixate on that and you will follow it to the end. And that for me, my little sparkle was the Beatles. You know, for someone else, it might have been Yuriev. I don't know. But, you know, it depends. And maybe if you've got too enriched a background, nothing really sparkle, sparks like that for you, which I'll get on to later. So, what, who were my role models? Well, I, I watched the kinks like mad. Um, I... I look, oh, I, when I did my GCSEs, I read Germaine Greer, you know, it was all fired up by her, and I loved that she talked about masturbating, and, and it was part of the sociology exam. Um, I went to art school because the Kinks went to art school. I was following boys, 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 even though I had no idea where it would lead me. And when I get interviewed by young people, they say, oh, you went to art school, didn't you? I know you left to be in a band, but what did you think you were going to do when you, when you joined? What did you think you were going to do when you come out? Oh, my God, what a different life we lead. I went to art school to waste three years. I went to art school, art school to snog boys with long hair. I, the last thing on my mind was drawing. That's what I'd do if I had to do it to stay in art school. Um, we had no spotlight on us, we had no pressure on us, we had no expectations on us, and although we felt small and girls even smaller and less visible, the one good thing in retrospect I realise is that we had room to dream and we had room to play and we had room to fail. And I see so many young people, my daughter's 16, and already friends of hers and people at her school from the age of 12 upwards are committing suicide because they feel they've failed. Young people. Now, I went to a comprehensive school in North London which had the widest range of people you could imagine, from the Sarchies to kids on housing estates in Finsbury Park. I never knew one young person who killed themselves. Now, why is that? You know, we had the same demographic, an even harder, tougher, rougher demographic, but we weren't... Ex- to do so much, we weren't expected to live so much in front of people, you know, have you done this, have you done your homework, you're working hard, you never get a job, you never get your foot on the housing ladder, well if you get your foot on on the housing ladder too young, you will be spending every weekend in (laughs) B&Q and you will not be making mischief and you will not be in a band and you will not be protesting and occupying, but you possibly will feel a complete failure in society, and, you know, and your parents will be upset because they won't be proud of you, and they won't say, oh, my daughter's camping outside Westminster Abbey. You know, uh, anyway, so I had no role models, and then bit by bit, you know, I, used to, I used to read the back of record covers, desperate to find the name of a woman. How does a girl like me get into that world? And it would be loads and loads of names, and then my girlfriend Daisy, You know, thanks to my girlfriend Daisy, or our manager, or thanks, Mum, for making the teas. (laughs) And I did the same when I went into film, actually. I'd scour the credits at the end of the film, and I still remember names like Kathleen Kennedy, who was Spielberg's producer. You know, she stood out a mile. There were no female names in those big roles. Catherine Bigelow, uh, film machine maker. Three people, I think three women, when I went into film stood out as having, so yeah, role models were thin on the ground and then Yoko Ono came along I was so proud of John Lennon for choosing Yoko Ono, someone so interesting and someone so out there um, and who expanded my mind in a way. We all passed her book Grapefruit around school, you know, and we didn't know what the hell she was on about, but that was fantastic. You know, just the word yes or look at a cloud and uh, imagine you're riding to China on it or something. (laughs) But it was great. We were open to that. And and, uh, us young women at Comprehensive School loved Yoko Ono in my little group, um, and yet the press trashed her. And I actually think when you look at a woman's, an art, a female artist's work, I don't think actually one should look at a female artist's work until the end of her life, because I think women's work should be judged a body work, a whole whole, a lifetime, because we come in and out. And those spaces and I had a 25-year space. Those spaces inform your work, and there'd be many artists, I think, who would benefit from taking 25 years out <laughs> and not sticking an album out because it's 18 months later and they're hot at the moment. You know. Anyway, that's what's happened to art, and music is a damn shame. Why did you go quiet for 20 years, Viv? You were a punk, you were a rebel. And I heard that you went to live in Sussex and you drove an Audi and your kid went to private school. Yep. (laughs) Do you know what? I was burnt out. I was exhausted. I'd spent all those years in the slits, dressed in tutus and rubber stockings and S&M gear. I was stabbed, I was spat at, I was abused every day of my life for seven years. We had to walk around in a gang of four, otherwise we would be raped, murdered, whatever. You know, We were attacked all, all the time, every day. We were real pioneers, and we knew it. And we were passionate about, our, passionate about our mission, and about our music, and how we dressed, and even how we stood on stage. Just watch the thing. Ooh, because even how we stood on stage was political, because we were the first women to do it. We had this many people come and see us easily. Double that, every time. Not one of them had ever seen a girl play electric guitar, or drums, or bass on stage before. Kids from the age of 14 to 40. People from 14 to 40 had never seen it before. So how I looked with a guitar and can I wear a skirt with a guitar and what are the proportions and I don't want to stand with my legs wide apart like I've got big bollocks hanging down. You know, It was political how we stood, it was political what voice we used. I said to the girls, we've got to use a voice to sing like we're shouting across a playground, not like me are trying to seduce men like all the other girls sang or wispy and high, still doing it most of them. Um, you know, we wanted to be two minutes, oh fuck, okay, I'm gonna, so anyway, I, I was knackered, that's why I had a break for 25 years, <laughs> and I was burnt out. Um, and I wanted what other women had had, women who would played it safe. I wanted a family and a home and safety and comfort. I went absolutely bonkers in that state. I, I became a husk and a mollusk. Um, I died inside. I mean, I got very ill. I got, I got very ill. I won't go into that now, but I got very ill. It kind of nap-armed me, but I recovered slowly. And so the last question is, where's punk spirit now? And young people come up to me and say, what do you think of our generation? And they're embarrassed. And why? You must not be embarrassed at 16 about your generation. I think that's terrible and that's a shame. And no, there's not punk spirit now, because if you went round booting things in and gobbing and shouting, fuck off, you wanker, like I used to... Do you know what my daughter says? Mum, it's not like that now. (laughs) That's old-fashioned. You don't have to because our hard-won victories have given young women choice. So you don't have to choose to be a policewoman or a primary school teacher. My kid, she thinks, oh, I might start a pop-up CAF or, oh, I might be a marine biologist or I might be a clinical psychologist. Ah, I think I want to be a DOP. She has got choice beyond belief in those 40 odd years between when i had 16 and her so i think no you you can't be a rebel when you're young in the west like i could be a rebel don't look for that you know what we fought for is for you to have cho- choice, and what you've got to do is be fucking discerning about what you choose, because it's all out there in front of you like a smorgasbord, and if you don't choose carefully, and if you can't tell the difference between a rebel and a radical and someone who's in a band with a leather jacket and torn trousers and think that's radical, then it's all been a waste. You know, so keep yourself visible, I fought, I walked every day of the, you know, of my life in my teens being spat at and stabbed so that my kid can wear the craziest clothes she likes or be out at night without having to you know be covered up and scared and running home, which she is, of course, so am I, but <laughs> and not everything's happened. But what I'm saying is you've got the choice if you're young, don't worry about you don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to be a punk. You don't have to spit and gob and shout and back, bang down doors like we did. But choose so carefully and keep yourself visible because those little victory, victories we did win are so fragile in a way and could so easily be taken away from us. Thank you.